The singularity is near. Blockchain, quantum computing, synthetic biology. Hey, my name is Sophie. I'm 16 year old on a mission to create the future. I'm learning a lot in this journey, and I want to share it with the world. This is the 2045 podcast. The future is now. Hey there, so one of my favorite books is called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. It was written by Yuval Noah Harari and it is one of his best selling books. This episode is just one out of three episodes that I want to make, kind of a mini series about、uh, the book, the most relevant ideas in this book. And in this first episode, we will be discussing the implications of artificial intelligence, especially its applications in healthcare. In understanding human emotions, creating art, how it could completely redefine our jobs, how Google is using it, of course, the ethics that it involves, whether it could be conscious or not. And in the end, I'm going to give the lessons that I learned from this topic in the book. As you may imagine, in the past, machines used to compete with humans in terms of strength and physical abilities. But now machines have learned how to analyze, communicate, understand human emotions, and most importantly, I think they've learned how to learn. Now, this may sound a little crazy, and we are going to talk about it more in depth later on, but if we take into account that emotions are nothing else than biochemical algorithms, we should also understand that machines are amazing at working with algorithms, and as a consequence, they could perfectly understand our emotions, even better than we can as humans. In fact, scientists predict that with the current advancements in our knowledge about the brain, it could be in 2050, the singularity, in which machines could outperform human psychologists. Now let's think about COVID. What if there was a single system, a single algorithm that was diagnosing diseases around the world? What if this algorithm would have identified、uh, different outbreaks in different parts of the world and informed the other algorithm in terms of seconds? What this new disease is about, how,、uh, it is, how it is affecting people's health, and maybe even calculating the possibility of the pandemic. Don't you think that would have been an amazing tool to even prevent this pandemic? Well, that sounds great because that would mean that that algorithm could also kind of be implemented into even smartphones that people could use in rural areas or pretty much anywhere around the world. As long as you have a smartphone and an internet connection, you would be able to diagnose yourself to have health checkups and just know what's going on in your body in real time, pretty much. Now, on the other hand, what if a single machine makes a mistake when prescribing a certain medicine or treatment or diagnosing it? And other machines with the same algorithm do so too. That wouldn't only be dangerous for one patient, but for potentially millions of people. What if the algorithm makes a mistake and it says, like, you don't have cancer, you're okay? But what if you actually do have cancer? And what if other machines made that mistake too? That could be really, really risky. Now, in terms of emotions and art, 
Some people, including myself, argue still that creative jobs such as being an artist will never be taken by machines. And you know, up to date, that has been true. We no longer need humans to sell music. We can now find it easily on Spotify. But there are still people creating music. Despite that fact, Juval Noah Harari says that in the long term, it is certain that no current job will be left without being automated, without being replaced by algorithms and machines. So let's first define what the role of art is, and. Why we care about it, right?、Um, so Juval says that when art is created, we tend to evaluate it according to people's perspective on it, to the emotions that it produces on us, right? If we see a painting and we kind of, you know, feel good, it is satisfying to hear that music, or you can feel related to a certain painting or whatever piece of art, then it may be good for you. Now, as I was saying before, what if AI could perfectly understand our emotions? Better than Shakespeare, Frida Kahlo, or Beyonce, and therefore create art in such a precise way that it could even be called manipulation of our feelings. This is absolutely crazy, isn't it? Like AI and computers have always been thought of, or I've personally always thought of them as entities which don't really understand emotions because they don't experience emotions. But who says that they need to feel in order to understand your emotions, in order to understand when you're sad, when you're angry, when you're really happy? In the end, emotions are algorithms too. Remember Neuralink? I don't want to get into any of that. But with the technology that it uses, brain-computer interfaces (BCIs), what if algorithms could understand how we feel when we listen to a certain genre or artist on Spotify and base its recommendations off of that? It wouldn't longer be something like you stared at a video on YouTube for too long, and it must mean something like you like it, or you、uh, clicked the like button, or you watch a lot of videos with the same title or whatsoever. It is now based on your feelings, your thoughts, your DNA even. So in short, that algorithm would know which biochemical buttons to press in order to create a global hit in music, painting, or any other art. Because imagine just Shakespeare couldn't go just to knock every house near him to know how people thought about his art, how people thought about life itself, and according to those answers. Create his art. No, that wasn't his creative process. And even if he tried to do that, maybe it wouldn't have been really helpful because we can't enter people's minds. You know, we can't really know what's behind that face, what's behind that smile that they're showing. Maybe they're feeling terrible inside. However, you can't hide from algorithms that are basically inside yourself with brain-computer interfaces. If that's the case. And some may argue, like, okay, algorithms may kind of start creating some beats,、um, paintings that are kind of weird or whatever, but they won't ever outperform the capacities of a real human artist. Well, if you think about it, or at least this is the way that I think about it, algorithms don't need to start being as great as Tchaikovsky or even better than Tchaikovsky or Mozart or other great artists. They just need to outperform the most listened artists today, 
Because I, how many people really listen to Tchaikovsky on Spotify today? I bet they aren't as many as people who listen to Taylor Swift or other artists. And this actually raises some concerns on how jobs are gonna be like in the future, how many jobs are going to be lost. And even doctors who were considered like people who knew a lot, who really needed some really high、um, level knowledge in order to understand what they're doing, and they even study like a lot of years, they could actually be replaced by algorithms, by AI. And people are still skeptical about it. But again, even with this situation like COVID, AI is being used to analyze the disease in various forms. You know, I have friends who say, like, I want to be a doctor, I want to study medicine, I want to be a physician. And I'm like,、um, have you ever thought about the possibility of your job、uh, being replaced by an algorithm at a certain point in your life? And then how about those? Many years that you prepared yourself、uh, to be a doctor, and then just suddenly a machine comes and can、uh, even outperform you. And they're like, I don't think that would be possible. Like,、uh, machines are only good for Instagram or to do other things such as calculations or whatever. Like, I don't think they will be able to diagnose a disease or understand the human body, let alone human emotions, right? But this is actually my purpose behind this episode, this series, this podcast. Even the 2045 podcast is about letting you know that the future is closer than we think. The singularity is near, and that we need to be prepared for it. We need、um, to be not only skeptical about technology, but actually skeptical about、um, our own abilities, our own knowledge, and just、um, consume knowledge that is really valuable and that's going to help us in the future. In this sense. Juval suggests that instead of competing against AI, we should focus on its maintenance and use. This way, in 2050, we wouldn't be competing against AI because we wouldn't be able to do so. Instead, we will be collaborating with it and doing great things. So you may be wondering, like, okay, you are telling me that AI will be the greatest thing in the world or the worst thing in the world, however you want to see it. And that that is going to happen soon, but the truth is that things can't just happen overnight. So people are already doing lots of progress. And an example of this, you can see it every day. Like your YouTube recommendations, it's AI that does them. Do you have a smart speaker at home? That's artificial intelligence. It's natural language processing. Do you use Google Translate to communicate with other people in another language? That's artificial intelligence. Another very common use are ads. You know, advertisements. Those that appear suddenly everywhere, like on YouTube, like on websites, on Instagram, Facebook, pretty much anywhere on the internet. Well, that's what keeps the internet going, pretty much, because it's like the best way of advertising that has ever existed. I think. And nowadays, engineers are working on creating algorithms that can detect and identify emotions based on the movement of our eyes and facial muscles. Now, imagine TVs that have good cameras. The algorithm would know which scenes made us laugh, feel sadness, or boredom in a movie. That information will be extremely valuable for people creating online content, movies, series—you name it. 
and that's definitely not the end. Means that with biometric sensors, and the algorithm will know with preciseness, photogram per photogram, how we reacted to that movie. When we are laughing and when we fake laughing, we use different muscles. Maybe your family or friends won't really notice. They'll be like, "Yeah, they like the movie, whatever. They're having fun." But you know who you can't hide your emotions to? AI. And these are just examples to like make it easier to understand and process, like to put things in a daily context. But this goes way further than choosing which movie or book to read. Soon, algorithms could be helping us make more important decisions in our lives, such as whom to marry, which career to study, where to work, and much more. Do you imagine a world like that? Would you like AI to help you make important decisions in your life, as long as they help you find the best option, or would you rather make your decisions on your own, like not to lose the ability to think critically, right? We are already trusting Google's algorithm to make important decisions, such as looking for reliable information. You have a backache, and what do you do? Like, do you go to the doctor, or do you first ask Google what should you do? You don't know the name of a song, and you ask Siri what the song's name is. How about this one? You don't know what the route to a certain place is, and you ask Google Maps. This may sound like really common to a lot of us. Like for me, it's like I don't really care if Google Maps takes me to wherever it wants to go as long as I get to the place I want to go. What? Like, why should that be bad? And the truth is that it isn't bad, but but we gotta notice that we are losing our ability to maybe use our sense of orientation. And being honest, I have lost it. Like it's just way easier to ask Google where to go because it can even find like the fastest route to your destination. Like, why would you trust yourself if sometimes it is more likely that you make a mistake than the likeliness of the algorithm making a mistake? We learned this by experience. The first time we used Google Maps, or that our parents used Google Maps, we may have been a little skeptical and not follow the precise route that it marked. Then we tried using that faster route, and we got faster to our destination. And so the next time we decide to trust it more. Than the road we previously knew, and talking about you know cars and following routes and algorithms, at the same time of reducing the number of car accidents, self-driving cars raise important ethical questions. You know, should we, should the car save people crossing the street or the owner of the car in a conflictive scenario? And this may not happen very very often, but what if it happens? Like, what if? Kids are crossing the street, and the car needs to do some strange, some strange movements in order to save the kids. Those strange movements could lead to the death of the owner of the car. Who does the car save? The kids or the owner? It needs to make the decision very, very fast. And the problem is not calculating the possibilities of any of those people surviving. The problem is who to save. What the author suggests is that a possible solution to this ethical problem may be that when you want to buy your Tesla car or whatever other brand, you may decide between an altruistic algorithm or an egoistic one—one one that saves other people instead of you, or one that makes the most to save you.
Now we've come to the most interesting part in my opinion. Can AI be conscious? Will AI be ever conscious? So before I say what Yuval thinks about this, I want to state my opinion and say that I don't think it's a matter of AI being conscious or not. I think that just as I read in the book, it matters um how you use it, how the person in charge of that algorithm uses it. Just as people, we can be conscious or we can be not conscious, but that doesn't mean we are going to be good or bad people. However, I understand that consciousness involves the use of a higher intelligence if we could say that consciousness is attached to intelligence to do more complicated things and analyze the world in a different way which could eventually lead to catastrophes or to great things. So what Jeval says is that we have three options. Either consciousness is completely related to organic biochemistry, so non-organic organisms cannot have it, or consciousness doesn't need organics, so maybe robots can have it even if they aren't better than humans at it. Option number 3 is consciousness isn't related at all to the organic, but to intelligence. So machines could develop it quite well. Now the problem comes when we invest a lot in improving artificial intelligence and not our intelligence, not organic intelligence, especially understanding how our brain works, how how come we are conscious and can have some mental experiences that we cannot explain at the moment. And if we don't do that, AI could be only useful to strengthen human stupidity. So we've almost come to the end of this episode. I really hope it's made you reflect a little bit on the implications of AI, the good ones, the bad ones, and just the objective side of it. And finally, I'd like to mention the lessons, the seven lessons that I learned in this aspect of AI from 21 lessons for the 21st century. Number 1 is science fiction is the most important genre of our times. It educates people about the future that's coming. Although its greatest sin is to confuse consciousness with intelligence. Number 2, it's important that we understand our mind before algorithms do. Personal observation has never been easy, but it will eventually become more difficult. 3. To prevent AI from being too better than us, we should invest the same time in improving AI than doing research about our consciousness and our brains. In the long term, the real business behind Google is not to sell advertisements, is to get our information, know our deepest secrets, and even create new kinds of artificial life. They value their apps according to how much data they get, not to how much money they can make with them in the short term. 5. Does data like our DNA or thoughts belong to us, the government, a company, or to humanity? Regulating who possesses that data is the most important thing. 6. Instead of competing against AI, we could focus on its maintenance, collaborate with it. And finally, in the 21st century, data will be the most important possession, and if few people own it, others could become completely irrelevant. The secret to controlling this is controlling who possesses that data. Again, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I did. 
Remember that these are not my ideas. I included some of my opinions on the topic, but this was all work from Juval Noah Harari, one of my favorite writers, actually. And please let me know if you'd like to hear more about his ideas. I've read his other book, Homadius. Don't forget that if you know someone who's more of like a visual person and likes to read rather than listening to podcasts, you can recommend my article, The Future Is Now, which I'll leave in the description below. In this podcast, we also have a lot of interviews with very interesting people. And till now, it's only been with amazing teenagers who are totally making a change in the world. But I'd also like to interview other people who may be even younger or a little bit older. If you think you're one of them, then just let me know on Twitter at 2045podcast. The singularity is near. Yes. <laughs>